What's up everybody, welcome back to the channel. Today we're gonna share a question and answer session from October the 2nd, 2020. Uh, a couple of questions about marketing, a couple of questions about trombone in a big band. So if you've been wondering about maybe some best practices for writing for trombone for big band, uh, we're gonna talk about those things and we're gonna talk about trombone ensemble stuff. And of course, we're gonna touch on some more details from the UNT BAC Jazz Trombone Day and the Jazz Trombone Competition. If you don't know about that, you can go and check out the links down below and you will find uh, links to that, or just Google UNT Jazz Trombone Day or Jazz Trombone Competition. You can find the information. It's all there for your perusal. So um, we can't wait to hear your submissions. October 20th, 2020 is the deadline there. So get those tapes in as soon as you can. And uh, thanks for being here. And uh, we'll see you uh, after the video. And so uh, I'm going to start kind of there where we left off on the tune list discussion. And um, hopefully some people will chime in with some other questions as we go. But um, I was talking about keeping a tune list that's not just a list. It's not an alphabetical list, it's, um, but a categorical list. So um, the categorical list will be, you know, much more helpful, I think. And this was something that Wycliffe Gordon talked to me about a very long time ago when I first went down to New York from Rochester to from Rochester to New York to get lessons. And we talked about organizing it by like types of tunes. And I find it super helpful to see where the gaps are in your development. So these are just broad, broad terms. I'm gonna go a little deeper into how you can subdivide some of these categories after. But so basically you wanna do like blues as a category, maybe rhythm changes as a category ballads as a category, songbook tunes as a category, bebop tunes as a category, that's five and six. The sixth category would be like jazz tunes, like things by like stable mates or moments notice or things that are like commonly known tunes that people play but are not necessarily um, songbook tunes with with words like, like my ideal or uh, it could happen to you or any of those type of songs. Those would go under the songbook category. Um, even though maybe some of them might cross over into a ballad category, but there's some tunes that are definitely ballads, like in a sentimental mood, for example. Uh, so I try to keep them in these categories so that I can actually see where I'm deficient, right? So I can see, hey, I don't know enough bebop tunes. I don't know enough songbook tunes. I don't know enough ballads. I only play two ballads, you know? Um, obviously we all have preferences, which is totally fine. But, um, so I like to keep the tunes organized in that way. I like to keep them categorized and I ask um, my students to do the same so that we can see where they're deficient. We can see where they need to learn more songs. They can see how much they actually know. Um, Cause I find like a lot of times, like my jazz department at Eastman, they used to give out like a tune list. And then um, also at Juilliard, we had like a tune list and it was always kind of just a list, you know? And a big long list isn't super helpful to me because of the, the list is just intimidating, right? Like it's like, why is there this huge long list and I'm supposed to know all this stuff and how do I even start, you know? And it's like much easier to say like, look, you don't know, you only know two blues songs so you should probably know at least another one or another two or three so then you can say okay i can learn like two blues tunes this week like that's no problem um and then you could go from there and add you know more rhythm changes add more other things so what i like to do from there especially in terms of like bebop tunes especially in terms of songbook tunes and ballads is like subdivide it again and say like there's really a lot of important figures and composers in the music and to make sure that you actually have you know like 
a, a, a good cross section of composers uh, within the different subgenres of you know jazz tunes, basically. So saying, okay, bebop, right? We got to know Charlie Parker tunes. We got to know Dizzy Gillespie tunes. We got to know um, Bud Powell tunes. People skip over Bud Powell, but we got to know Monk tunes. So like I, I subdivide into those categories. I'm like, all right, do you know any Bud Powell tunes? Do you know any Monk tunes? Do you know any of the, you know, this, that, and the other thing? Um, so you just kind of subdivide those categories down. And so you can make your list, you know, a little bit more intricate if you want to, but um, I really think it's super helpful. I think you should know John Coltrane tunes. You should know Benny Golson tunes. You should know like early swing tunes and like public domain songs that might be get played on like a traditional gig or something like that. You should know those songs, those older songs, like Down by the Riverside, for example. Um, and then you got to know rhythm changes and then like tunes that are like variations on rhythm changes. Like, for example, there's like riff based, like Lester leaps in, you know, that do 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 like that. It's super simple. Or there's bebop rhythm changes or there's like rhythm changes with alternate changes like Eternal Triangle, that Dizzy Gillespie tune where the A sections are pretty much the same, a little different, but pretty much the same. And then the bridge is totally different. Um, so just different tunes and like tunes with different changes like uh, that are also sort of like rhythm changes like um, uh, Serpent's Tooth, if you know Serpent's Tooth, but I guess that has a different bridge too. But anyway, so there's like the category and then there's like the tunes and there's like adjacent tunes and you can kind of break things down in that way. But um, I just, I find it really, really helpful excuse me, itchy nose today. Um, I find it to be super helpful to kind of break things down in this way and to start to organize it. So I, I don't know if the person who asked that question is here. I don't think so, but hopefully he'll be able to watch that later and that will help him. So I hope that you can kind of take some more direct strategies here and think about your tune list, the tunes that you know a little more specifically and think about filling in the gaps rather than just going down this list that has a million instrumental jazz tunes and not enough songbook tunes or not enough of this tune or that tune. So um, I think that's a, uh, an effective and important way to kind of subdivide the categories. So rather than having this long alphabetical list, and if it gets too long, it's not helpful, right? It's hard to know. But when you say, when somebody says, oh, what ballad do you want to play? You already have your list of ballads and you know when you play your ballad feature, what to go to. So that's always a really uh, helpful strategy and a really effective strategy. So what has been one of the most, one of the best single things you've done? Website, more marketing ideas to reach a larger audience. Uh, the best thing that I've done to reach a larger audience is to commit to connecting with my audience over and over again over uh, a span of the last 10 years, eight years since being out of school. Um, it's consistency over time is the most important thing, the single most important thing. And that's across platforms. It's across uh, all the different ways you can connect in terms of making albums, making videos, doing master classes, playing gigs, going on tours, all of that stuff, um, I would say is the one most important thing. It's the fact that I just unrelentingly put things out into the world um, because I know, and I've talked about this before, um, that like you, you only need to connect with one person at a time with one piece of content. You know, I'm working right now on a new course uh, called the Music Marketing Roadmap that we did for free over the summer. It was becoming a course now. And um, 
just making that and thinking back through a bunch of marketing ideas and just the one thing that always comes back to me about social media is just like you connect one piece of content with one person if you can connect with that person on a deep level and have them start to check out your content on a regular basis you just keep doing that and one person at a time one person at a time and over five eight ten years you start to build up that those relationships to have an authentic experience like connecting with them about jazz trombone or jazz or whatever you're connecting them with about so to me the mo- single most important thing is that longevity of commitment to connection um, i use the phrase create connect repeat often uh, i call a lot of the talks that i do that because it's so important to just make stuff uh, we get caught up in an idea of perfectionism all the time uh, many people do anyway um, we get caught up in the idea that like it has to be a certain way or a certain quality or it has to be you know um, perfect every time i guess i just re- repeated myself a little bit but i think it's more important to get stuff out there into the world than it is to make sure that it's quote unquote perfect um, and just commit to putting stuff out. Well, I mean, we got into this field to make music, I think, if you're a musician watching, and uh, you gotta make music and you gotta put it out there because uh, if you wanna build your following, if you wanna do any of the things that we all wanna do, like tour, like play gigs, like you know, sell CDs, get a lot of streams on Spotify, whatever the goal is, you have to start somewhere and you have to go one person at a time. It's so important just to go one person at a time. Um, I can't tell you. It's just like you got to do it online. You got to do it in person. Uh, you got to do it relentlessly. And, you know, I'm still doing the same thing. I'm trying to do my best to um, keep that going. Uh, I remember the monk competition last trombone was in 2003. Yep, that's correct. We need more trombone centered things. That's exactly why we're doing it. The UNT BAC Jazz Trombone Day and Competition, November 21st. I'll keep talking about it probably every week until the event. Hello, Anthony. Thanks for being here. I see Eric just joining. I see, obviously, Luke, Grace, Jay. Thanks for being here, everyone. Um, yeah, we need more trombone events. There's only so few things, and a lot of them are so kind of tunnel vision to one thing or another. Um, I mean, it's really, I mean, we just want to get it. Our goal with the UNT one is to be able to get it outside of just the trombone world, into the at least into the jazz world in general because uh, a lot of the trombone events happen to be more trombone-centric and include a jazz component rather than jazz-centric with a trombone component. So that's the idea. And let's kind of look what the Monk competition uh, was. And I think, let's see, Andre Hayward won, I believe, and Dave Gibson was a finalist. And I remember talking to a bunch of guys that were the final that were in that first round. And um, I forget who the third finalist was. Dave, Andre, and I forget. And there was a lot of people that we know now, and I'm not going to name any other names, but that like you'd be surprised. Like, wait, that person wasn't a finalist? Like they were one of the finalists, but not one of the like top three. And just so interesting. And um, I suppose that gets into a wider conversation about is it like is, should music be a competition? But really, um, you know, I mean, it's not a competition, but to get to the, once you get to the top, you know, 5%, everything is preference, you know. Uh, most most everything is preference to who the judges are, who plays really well that day, who connects with the band, whose music connects the best, you know, in terms of original compositions, um, which are acceptable to send in for the BAC UNT competition, by the way. I encourage, uh, like I said, I was focusing so much on how everyone had a really different approach and really different artistry, you know. 
Um, it's really um, important. It's really important to have great artists on our instrument. You know, there was somebody last week that wanted to clarify a question about innovators on the trombone and why we don't have a dizzy and we don't have a, a bird or whatever. Like we do, we have JJ and Curtis and Slide and Carl Fontana and Frank Rosalino, obviously. However, like in terms of the rest of the industry, how come they don't view those people with the same reverence as they view, you know, bird, whatever. And, you know, I just, I think that, uh, we got to keep on keeping on and keep showing them that this we can be leaders. We are contributing to this music and just really believe it. You know, you don't have to be a sideman as a trombonist all the time. Um, and we got to change for the public perception. I mean, I think trombone used to be in the front all the time. You know, J, uh, Tommy Dorsey, trombonist, fronted the band, one of the most biggest bands of his time. Glenn Miller, trombonist, biggest bands of his time. You know, we talked about this last week, but super important. And uh, anyway, so that's what we're doing with this competition. Uh, really trying to put trombone in the spotlight here. So um, it'll be totally free. So as we get closer, there'll be links and you can share the links. And I hope you can tune in for some or all of the day. It'll be all day that day with performances and masterclasses sporadically uh, spread out November 21st. Difficulty with smoothly executing passages. Well, the first thing would be to um, make sure that you're comfortable playing fluidly in the upper register to begin with. So what I would do is do some kind of like flow studies with scales or something like and fast be faster. Up a half step. Take something that's comfortable and speed it up, move it into the upper register so that you can actually play it fast in the upper register. The other, another thing to do is to take whatever um, tonguing technique you're using, whether it's single tongue, double tongue, and practicing it slow. So if I do double tongue, so I, I would go So a tempo that's not of double tongue tempo, quote unquote, however, but doing the double tongue to practice it and get it up to speed here so that you can uh, feel like you're strengthening that double tongue. So that's number one. And number two is um, to approach the high register with um, ease, right? So I see a lot of trombonists who try to force it out or try to like attack the upper register. They try to like pound it, right? They're like, I gotta muscle it. And the more we do with our air and the more we do with kind of just playing rather than uh, the easier it is to kind of play in that register. And it's not to say that you can't play strong or you can't accent or you can't slam a note, but you can't approach it that way mentally or physically because you kind of like get tense, you squeeze in, you lose the inflation ability of your lungs, right? So all of those things. So staying relaxed, staying tension-free, relying on the air to do the work. Uh, you don't have to um, muscle it. You don't have to like squeeze every muscle in your body to get a high note out. It's actually going to defeat the purpose, right? So just playing with great technique as you would on any part um, and practice playing stuff in the upper register. So what I mean is like take a melody, like a bebop melody or something, some kind of melody that has a bunch of leaps in it, has a bunch of technical uh, stuff to it, and then put it into the upper register like you know, Donnelly has a fair amount of like G, A flat, F kind of stuff in it to get, and you got to play it nice and clean. You got to play it nice and smooth. If you can play Donnelly in the upper register, if you can play like, let's see, what else? Uh, 
Oh, you could play um, Serpent's Tooth, like the A sections of head, I mentioned that earlier. Like that's all in the upper register. So take some kind of bebop line and play it in the upper register so that you can practice what that means, which is doing leaps, which is playing with that connection, uh, relying on the air, not slamming, get rid of, getting rid of the tension, and um, just overall being more relaxed about it. The, the more you try to force it, the harder it and worse it's going to be. That's my experience anyway. That doesn't mean it'll be everyone's experience, but as soon as I stopped trying to like slam those high notes, as soon as I stopped to try to like prove to somebody that I could play high, the um, upper register notes started to be more accessible. So um, those are a few things. I know that was a long answer. Hard or a short question. Oh, and one other thing, Jay, is to make sure that you're using the right vowel shape inside of your mouth. So a lot of times what I find is players who are specifically players that are classically trained, they try to keep that same round, open sound in the upper register. And I'm not saying you shouldn't have a round or open or warm sound in the upper register. You absolutely should. But the vowel sound has to kind of compress a little bit to kind of get it out. So it can't be this ah syllable that's like this big. It has to kind of become e, ah, e, ah, e. You have to make sure that you're uh, adjusting to the register that you're playing in. So, um, Take that uh, as you will. What are some things, okay, from Josh Cassette. Hi, Josh. What's up, Prof? What are some things that trombonists like to see in big band charts versus things that one should avoid writing? Um, the biggest thing that people like to complain about is if you write low B flat to be natural, because most people in a big band are probably playing a small bore instrument, and um, that B flat to be natural is quite annoying. It is annoying. I mean, I sometimes I write it though, just to be to be annoying and just be like, hey, you should be able to do this, guys. And uh, then you get a hard time. But that's one thing. I'm sure that people have brought that up to you before. So low B flat to low uh, B natural, because it's, it's first to seventh. And if it's fast, yeah, that's hard. Um, we don't really like to play in unison all that much. Um, if you can avoid the whole section playing unison, especially if it's like the bass trombone in the upper register along with the tenors. That is kind of a hard, hard texture to really control. So um, being, uh, being a little bit more, I don't know, if, just like thoughtful, like does it really need to be all the trombones playing in unison? Um, fast, fast lines that are um, not like really angular, those might be better for the saxophones. Not to say that we can't play angular stuff, but especially if it's like a reading band, um, make sure it's not too all over the place, you know. But um, trombones like to have the melody sometimes. They like to have melodic parts. If it's all just kind of backgrounds, it's kind of boring, you know. So uh, if you can think of ways to do that. I mean, trombone sounds really good uh, in chords. Uh, Trombone sounds really good, um, like as backgrounds too, you know. And trombone sounds really good, like basically in any voicing, close, open. Uh, we sound the trombone just sounds good in, in a group. So you'll be, um, um, you're going to be good there. So that's why, like people would like playing those trombone ballad features because they kind of sound like a trombone choir. I see Kevin asked a question about um, Sam Kenton's arrangement of My Funny Valentine. I do not know of an arrangement of that arrangement, but I'm sure somebody has a My Funny Valentine for trombone choir. Um, my specific knowledge is a little bit limited because I focus on, in our jazz trombone ensemble, 
Um, definitely promoting the students to write original. Uh, yes, Cam. Uh, trombone is just the best instrument. We sound we sound the best in a group for sure. And uh, but I don't know if necessarily a stand the a version of the Stan Kenton arrangement for trombone choir. In our groups, we encourage original arrangements and original compositions, so the students have uh, an outlet to write, and so that they get experience writing for a trombone ensemble. And um, it keeps our repertoire new and fresh because there's been a history of playing the same charts over and over again before I arrived at UNT for our jazz trombone ensemble called the YouTubes. Um, so I don't have a huge library because we're always trying to write new stuff, but um, I am sure that there's an arrangement of My Funny Valentine uh, for trombone choir. I'm trying to remember if there was an arrangement of that on the J and K plus six. I don't think so. I think I'm just thinking of J and K maybe playing it as a duet. Maybe. I'm not sure. Uh, <clears throat> my my um, memory is failing me. But uh, to finish up also, Josh's question about what to see in a big band chart um, for trombones. You know, important things to consider are having enough time for mute changes. That's a big one. Um, not having like one bar of rest and then like, okay, now play the bucket mute. Now play the you know, whatever. So give us like, you know, four, eight bars to change, change mutes. Um, and if not, then maybe you consider like plunger or half plunger not like wah, 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 but just to like cover the sound a little bit, that can be effective or in the stand or something like that uh, instead of like fast mute changes. Um, and anything else that trombones like to see. Oh, make sure you mark as many articulations as you can, be as specific as you can. Always mark every single quarter note if you can, if nothing else, because um, those are the ones that are gonna get a question most of the time. Um, I think that's it. Hope that helps, Josh. Um, there's, you know, there's plenty of things uh, that we like to do. So just treat us like everybody else. Uh, we like to play all different types of things. Trombone sounds really good in cup mute, like playing backgrounds. I like that sound a lot. Um, I don't know. There's so many textures, but just don't forget about us. You know what I'm saying? My favorite trombone ensemble stuff is um, probably Slide Hampton's World of Trombones. Um, so I'd, there's two records and they're both they're all great Slide is just an amazing writer and he can get so many colors out of that ensemble and he had great there's great soloists on that record and just like a good mix like there's a more modern one that came out I mean it was in, came out in the early 2000s but um, then there's the one from you know 20 or 30 40 years ago that has Ray Drummond on bass I know and uh, I forget exactly who's on it, but um, it's a great record. Great record. World of Trombones, and I forget what the other one's called. Anyway, Slide has two of those. So those are really, really fantastic. Um, thank you, everybody, for being here today. I appreciate you. We're back every week on Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern. I think, no, not next week, but in two weeks. I'm going to have to do it at a different time. But um, every week on Friday afternoon, we're getting together, talking jazz trombone, talking jazz, talking music, and uh, I will uh, see you all next week. So thanks for being here, and uh, have a great weekend. See ya.